All right, so Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 14 through to 18, and it reads as follows. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works. Tell the person next to you, I know your works. I know what you're like. Tell them, I know what you're like. I know what you're like. That you are neither cold nor hot. Don't tell them that bit. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor. Someone say poor. Blind. Someone say blind. And naked. Someone say naked. There's a reason why I got you to repeat that. I want you to be mindful of that. Poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me, capital M, Jesus, gold, refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eyesalve, that you may see. Amen? Amen. So last week we started a new series entitled Breaking Bad. Bad. Thank you. At least one person listens to what I have to say up front. So we started a series last week called Breaking Bad and the title of my message last week was Breaking Patterns. Uh See, now you're with me. Okay. Breaking Patterns. We spoke about Breaking Patterns last week and Breaking Patterns really was just about how we break the negative patterns that have gone before us, whether in our lineage or those things that have been uh, set before us by those around us and also how we break free from every stronghold and bondage that we may have opened the door to the enemy to come into in our lives and as a result cause strongholds and bondage in our life. Today we are continuing and concluding this short two-part series with a message that I have titled Signs You Are Under Attack. Signs You Are Under Attack. And so if you're like me, an introvert, I'm going to ask you to do the thing you love the most. Turn to two or three people and ask them, are you under attack? Go ahead and ask them. I can only hear a few people asking their neighbors. Ask them, are you under attack? In the scripture that we just read in the book of Revelation chapter 2, and chapter three, um, Jesus asks John of Patmos to write a letter to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Many people believe that the letters are just for the churches then. Then there are others, many others, who believe that they're not just for the churches then, they're also for the churches today. They are for us, and actually that each church fits into one of these seven categories of churches. I also believe that they are not just for them, but they are for us also. And the reason being is because when you look at other scriptures in Revelation, when you study it a little bit more, it becomes a little bit clearer that it's not just for them, it's also for us today. Now, when John is writing these letters to these churches on behalf of Jesus and communicating Jesus's words, there is a pattern in which he addresses the churches. Usually when he addresses the churches, he commends them firstly for what they are doing well. Then he challenges them on what they're not doing well. And he gives them a promise that they will uh, be able to receive if they fulfill the challenge that is set before them. There's only one church out of the seven churches in Revelation who doesn't receive any commendation whatsoever. 
And it's the church that we just read about, the church in Laodicea. In fact, when speaking to them, Jesus, through this letter, tells them, you are wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're naked, and you're blind. Now, when it comes to the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, most people are familiar with one thing about this church. That one thing being that they were lukewarm. That's what most people are familiar with when it comes to this church. For those of you who are not aware, the way it would work with the church in Laodicea is that Laodicea as a city never had any water. They, never had, they were known for not having any water in their city. So in order for them to get water, they would pump water in to their town through two neighboring cities. They never had no wells, they never had no springs. They had to create an aqueduct to pump water. They had to create clay pipes, which are actually still there today. And they would pump water, hot water in from a place called Hierapolis. Everyone say Hierapolis. Hierapolis was known for its hot springs. It was known for its hot water. So they would pump water from Hierapolis. They would also then pump cold water from Colossae. Everyone say Colossae. And therefore, getting cold water from Colossae and hot water from Hierapolis into Laodicea, the water would be lukewarm, they would drink it, and it would make them vomit. Talking of Colossae, does that sound familiar? When you hear Colossae, what do you think of? Colossians. The book of Colossians is Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. Colossae. But did you know that Paul also wrote to the church in Laodicea? Yes, he did. But we don't have it. So some people think that he was so angry with them, they just couldn't put it in the Bible. But when you read Colossians chapter 4 and verse 16, we actually see that Paul wrote a letter to the church in Laodicea, but we don't have that in Scripture. But when it comes to the church in Laodicea, many people know of them being lukewarm. That's what most people associate them with. But they were known for a few other things. And let me tell you some of the popular things that they were known for. The church in Laodicea, or shall I say the city of Laodicea, was known for their wealth. They had banks. They were wealthy because they had gold. But Jesus said, they're poor. You know what else they were known for? They had a massive, well-known, reputable medical school. That medical school specialized in ophthalmology to do with the eyes. Despite having a top school to deal with eyes, Jesus said, you're blind. You know what else they were known for? They had a booming clothing manufacturing industry. You know what Jesus said? You're naked. How is it that they were wealthy, that they had a top medical school, that they had a booming clothing manufacturing system in place. But Jesus turns around and says, you're poor, you're naked, and you're blind. Well, it's very simple. The reason why he said this is because though they had those things in the material sense, they didn't have them in a spiritual sense. They had natural wealth. They never had any spiritual wealth. They had natural clothing. They had no spiritual covering. They had natural sight, but they had no spiritual sight. And let me tell you this, as a believer, the Bible tells us that we live not by sight, but we live by our faith. 
And when it comes to warfare and the attack on our lives, if you are looking for it with your physical eyes, you're going to miss it altogether. Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood and not against things that we see with the naked eye, but that are seen in the spiritual sense. And Jesus says, you're blind. Now, here's the interesting thing. The Bible tells us in John 4 that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What does he come to steal before he kills? Let me tell you what he comes to steal. Your focus. You see, many times we think that when the enemy is going to attack us, it always has to be a bad thing. No, what he firstly does before he attacks you is he tries to steal your focus. And do you know what he tries to steal your focus and put your focus on? The things you see, your clothing, your appearance to others, and he tries to put your focus on wealth alone. And he wants you to focus on all of those things at the detriment of your spiritual life. You see, there's nothing wrong with attaining to those things. There's a problem when you're attaining to get those things and neglecting your spiritual life in the process. And if you don't believe that these are the things that he tries to put your focus on, let me just remind you that the same Satan who does this is the same Satan who, when Jesus had finished fasting, the Bible says that Jesus took, sorry, Satan took Jesus to an exceedingly high mountain in Matthew 4. And he said, I will give you all of this that you see, the world and its glory and its riches. I only want one thing from you, your worship. You can have the wealth, you can have the authority, you can have the power, you can have the career, you can have the promotion, you can be a manager, you can be a leader, you can be a public speaker, you can have all of that. I just want your spiritual life. And the enemy will do everything he can before he attacks you to get you focused on those things alone at the detriment of your spiritual health. Lest we forget, it's the same Jesus that said, what good is it if a man gains the whole world but loses his soul. Ask the person next to you, are you under attack? Now, here are just two signs that I want to give you of many, but we only have time for two today, that you might be under attack. Once the enemy has stolen your focus, then he comes in for the kill. Once he's done the stealing, he comes in for the kill. And here are just two signs that you might be under attack. Here's the first one. Number one, she should be taking note. Mental exhaustion and fatigue when it comes to your spiritual walk. Mental exhaustion and fatigue when it comes to your spiritual walk. One of a number of ways in which the enemy attacks us is in that of being tired, which leads to spiritual apathy. You see, once he gets you focused on wealth, and your appearance, and the things you see. I hope you know that things like paying bills, attaining uh, uh, career achievement, and those kind of things, building your businesses, living your best life, all of those things, there's no end to them. Because once you achieve one level, guess what? You're already looking at the next. And the enemy is cool with that, but what he does is he wants you to continuously be chasing those things on end so that you are too tired at the end of the day to read your Bible, to pray, to worship, to spend time in God's presence. 
And so he wants to put you in a position where you keep going, you keep pursuing more. But please be careful when you're doing this and you're doing this and not noting that actually you don't have any more energy or excitement or time for prayer, study and devotion. Daniel chapter 7 verse 25 says this. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. This is the enemy. Shall persecute. Everyone say persecute. Persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and a half a time. Now in that scripture that we just read in Daniel chapter 7 verse 25, the word that I got you to repeat was the word persecute. The word persecute there is not how we think of it in terms of a believer being persecuted for their faith or the like. We get a better understanding of the word if we were to read it in a version like the Amplified version. In the Amplified, it would use the word where, not persecuted, it would use the word where. Now, many of us are familiar with the fact that the Bible was written predominantly in two languages. The Old Testament is written in, in Hebrew and the New Testament is written in, in Greek predominantly. But portions of scripture are also written in Aramaic, okay? Now, the 200 verses between Daniel chapter 2.4b and Daniel chapter 7.28 are in Aramaic. This verse falls just between that. And the word persecute there in the Aramaic comes from a word called belau, which has root in the word belor. And that word means to decay, to wear out, to consume, to spend, to grow old, to oppress, or to expend, but it's not talking about in the physical sense. It's talking about mentally. So the plan of the enemy is to consume you, wear you out, get you to fail, grow old, to oppress you mentally so that he can kill and destroy you. And here's the thing. It's not an immediate thing. It's a process. It's a step-by-step slow process you see the enemy for some of you he knows that there's no way he can convince you that God is not true he knows he can't do that so rather what he does is try to keep you in a place where you're passive in your Christian faith a place where you're just like it is what it is it's not that you're unexcited it's just that you're not excited either just passive just stay in your corner. He wants to get you to a place where your faith becomes a routine. You're reading your daily devotion to tick a box. Where you're reading your Bible and you close the verses and you close your Bible and you've totally forgot what you read about. Where you're rushing to get through your reading just to tick your box to say, I've done my reading plan for achieving reading the Bible in a year. Just doing things out of routine. Just coming to church because it's what you've done. You grew up in the church. He wants you in that place as long as you're not on fire. He wants you to be in a place where you're comfortable with Sunday to Sunday, where you're comfortable with understanding that actually people don't even know where I'm at, but I'm still going to come and I'm just going to keep myself to myself. He wants you in a place where serving is a chore. He wants you in a place where he can consume you, where he can spend you. 
He wants you in a place where every meeting, every gathering, it's do I need to attend? How long is it going to be? I've heard this all before. This is nothing new. Why should I come? He wants you in that place. And when you find yourself murmuring in your heart, this is a sign that you are under attack. Ask the person next to you, are you under attack? I'll even go one step further to tell you that the enemy is even happy when things are going well for you as long as they are causing you to become distant in Christ. He's happy that you're getting a promotion at work. Just don't give more to the kingdom. He's happy that you're busy with great ideas, that you've got businesses to build, that you've got things to do and places to be, as long as it keeps you from spending time in his presence. He wants you to be so busy that you can't even remember the sermons you hear, let alone go back and listen to them over and over again. And so, if you are feeling mentally exhausted and or fatigued, spiritually apathetic, spiritually dry the chances are you are under attack and this is his aim to wear you out to the extent that you become lukewarm just like we read about and just like we know God doesn't like in Revelation chapter 3 here's the second sign that you might be under attack number two inexplainable depression inexplainable depression I was careful about my choice of words I didn't say unexplainable I said inexplainable because typically unexplainable means with further information research and time it can be explained inexplainable means this is mysterious this is cautious we don't understand how this came about or what is going on here have you ever been to the doctors and they just can't figure out what's going on? Inexplainable. I'm talking about inexplainable depression. But whether depression is inexplainable or unexplainable, let's see how depression behaves in a person's life by looking at a biblical character we know as Elijah. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4, it says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. He prayed that he might die. And said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. In case you're not familiar with this story, Elijah had just finished casting down fire and boasting of God's goodness publicly. Casting down fire on 450 prophets of Baal. Then he finds himself running from one woman, Jezebel. He finds himself running and he finds himself in a cave. This is the danger of depression. That not can it just come on you after a big high where people think that you might be on cloud nine because you just achieved something great, but actually it can come on after a big high. The danger with depression is that everybody sees the casting down of the fire, but no one sees the cave. And because everybody sees the casting down of fire, they think you are okay. But they don't see when you're alone. They don't see when you're not just alone, but you're also lonely. They don't see when you're tired. They don't see when you're 
fed up. They just see the achievements. They just see the things we post on social media. Because how many of you know that no one poses or posts the negative things on social media? We take the picture, we look at the picture, no, 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 change the angle. No, 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 it's got to be in the light. No, no, add this filter. We see the finished picture, but you don't know that that picture took four attempts if you're a man. <laughs> 450 if you're a woman, right? But we just see the finished product. Everyone posts a healthy meal that they ate. But no one posts the fact that they stopped at the McDonald's drive-thru at 1.30 a.m. in the morning. Because they want you to see a particular side. It's the same with depression. You see the person in church lifting up hands, smiling, talking. They have all the Christian needs in the world. How are you? I am blessed and highly flavored. Not even favored. Flavored. It is well. But they're suffering. Silent frustrations. Silent strongholds, battles, attachments, discouragement, dealing with hope deferred, dealing with failure, dealing with setback. That's put them in a place of depression. This was the case for Elijah, but Elijah wasn't the only major biblical figure who prayed to die. Moses also said, Lord, I'm ready to die. Kill me if this is how it's going to be. Let it be a reminder to each and every one of us that those who are strong or who even appear to be strong also have their struggles. This is why suicide surprises people because we just didn't see it in that person. We just didn't see the depression. We just didn't see it coming. May I remind you that we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against the things that are unseen and if you are experiencing inexplainable depression you are under attack from the enemy who has come to steal kill and destroy so that's the bad news how do we respond under attack what do we need to do in the face of warfare and spiritual attack well we need to do what the church in revelation 3 did we need to go back to our first love and i want to tell you very quickly how we do this in three ways number one we do this by acting on his word someone say act on his word turn with me to ephesians chapter 6 and i'm going to read from verse 10 onwards ephesians chapter 6 Verse 10 says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against uh, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Amen. 
We see from this scripture that we are to put on the whole armor of God. But I don't know if you've noticed something about that armor and its description. Only one part of that armor is offensive. Only one part of that armor is used to fight and to fight back. And it's the sword. And the sword in the Bible represents the word of God. The Bible tells us itself in Hebrews 4 verse 12 that the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. But notice, I did not say believe in his word. I didn't say that. Believing is one thing. I said act on his word. There is a difference. James chapter 2, 19 says, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Clap for yourself. Even the demons believe and tremble. So believing in and of itself is not enough that's one side but this is about acting out the word of god and in the context in which james is speaking he's talking about faith without works he's talking about believing the word of god but not living out the word of god and you protect yourself from warfare by walking in the truth of his word by not exposing yourself to sin by not exposing yourself to darkness by not creating your own version of the bible and what is modern and what isn't modern but living out his word in your life there's a saying that you have to be in it to win it. I say you have to be in it to live it. You have to be in it to live it. You have to meditate on it day in, day out in order for it to become fruit in your life. Someone say act on his word. Number two, you need to pray. Someone say pray. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6 says so he answered and said to me this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel not by might not by power but by my spirit says the Lord of hosts. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. I always like to remind people that prayer takes the supernatural and makes it natural in the flesh. It calls on the all-powerful, almighty God to do the things that we cannot do. Because how many of you know that you cannot do warfare in your own strength? You cannot do warfare in your own strength. And this was the word of God to Zerubbabel in the scripture that we just read. He was a prince in a difficult situation, a trying situation, and he needed encouragement from God in his battle. And the encouragement from God was, listen, it's not going to be by your might. It's not going to be by your power. It's going to be by my spirit, by my authority, by my power, by my energy. God was saying, I will build my temple and take care of my people. This is how my church will be built. They will be people of prayer. And we preserve ourselves through God's grace when we get back to the place of prayer and this is why I always encourage people to be at prayer meeting and this is why I encourage you in the scriptures of first Thessalonians 5 17 which says pray without ceasing prayer takes the supernatural and makes it natural or it takes the natural to God so that he can do what he needs to do in the supernatural and because prayer is communion with God, when you are at war, you are asking God to do for you that which you cannot do in the natural. You're asking him to heal the mental illness of a friend or a loved one. You're asking him to heal your body or your mind. You're asking him to save yourself or the person on the edge of ruining their lives, the person on the edge of getting called up in the wrong company, in drugs, in um substance misuse and so on and so forth you are asking him to protect your mind when you go to prayer you're asking him to change policies you're asking him to come against earthly and worldly agendas that will affect our generation and those to come 
You can't do that in your own strength. You need his might. You need his power. You need his spirit. Not by our might, not by our prayer, but by his spirit. Someone say, by his spirit. And the third way in which we come against the plans of the enemy in warfare is through our worship. Someone say worship. We act on his word, we pray, and through our worship. In Second Chronicles chapter 20, I would encourage you to go and read it, maybe part of your devotion this week. The people came to Jehoshaphat and said, listen, we've got these armies that are coming against us. And I love Jehoshaphat's response because he doesn't do what typically we expect him to do. He doesn't gather the people around and get all the weapons together to go to war. Rather, he says, we're going to win this war through our worship. And so the next morning, he gets those who could sing up front to sing. And the rest of them, the Bible says, they bow their face to the ground and they worship God. And as a result of their worship, God actually causes the enemy to be defeated. There is an ambush against them because of their worship. The people marched around the wall of Jericho and they cried out and the walls came falling down. Paul and Silas were in prison. They sang hymns and the prison gates opened. In biblical days, they would go into God's presence to worship and then go out to war. Worship, then war. When they finished war, they would come back to the place of worship. We are at war and we are to do the same. Come into his presence and worship before we go out into the world and deal with the warfare that is waiting for us. And then we come back into his presence to be refreshed in the place of worship. Someone say worship. worship. I remember um, a few weeks ago, I had um, two dreams in succession, quite close together actually, these dreams. And um, I remember in this dream, I was sitting in this room and um, there was, this room was packed full of people. And um, all of a sudden, the lights just cut out, okay? It wasn't in Nigeria before any of you get any thoughts. But the lights cut out. And then the lights came back on. And um, except for when the lights came back on, no one else was in the room anymore. It was just me. And then the lights went out again. And it was a bit like a movie where I knew an, a, a, an attack was imminent. Except for in my dream, I knew that the attack was imminent upon myself. And so I started trying to find a way to get out of this room. And I couldn't find a way. And then I started to sing a song which I usually sing in reality, in normal life. Not in my dream, in my morning devotion before I go into my study as part of my worship. I started singing that song in my dream. And as I started singing that song in my dream, even though the place was still dark, I could see a way out. And I was being led upon this route in the midst of the darkness to get out of this building. And as I was doing so, that route was lined with demons who were trying to attack me, but they couldn't. It was as if they were restricted. But what was interesting is that though I sang this song in the natural as part of my devotion, when I was singing it in my dream, I started singing it by myself and then all of a sudden, I noticed that I was accompanied by these angelic vo voices. 
that I could only assume were the angels of God. And as I was singing it, it was protecting me so that I could get out and get away from these demons that were trying to attack me. And then it occurred to me when I woke up that one of my prayers has always been that God will reveal to me the plan of the enemy and discard them. And I realized he was doing just that through my dreams. But I had to stop and wonder if my worship in the natural was doing that in the spiritual, how many wars and battles is God helping me win in the supernatural because of my worship in the natural? Because you see, if I'd never had that dream, I would have just been worshiping not knowing that my worship was actually worship that it was actually doing battle for me in the unseen realm. And I don't know if you've ever stopped to think that maybe the goodness of God on your life, the protection, the things that he's keeping you from is because of your worship here that has been translated in the spiritual realm. And I wonder how much of our worship when we come into the spiritual realm is doing justice for us in the natural realm. And this is why I always encourage people never to underestimate the power of giving God the worship that is due unto his holy name. Act on his word, pray and worship are the three keys that are going to keep you in spiritual warfare. I asked you a question at the beginning. I asked you, are you under attack? The answer is, if you are a Christian, capital yes. By nature of being a Christian, yes. The Bible says when the enemy comes in like a flood, not if. When, it's just a matter of time. And if Satan would have the cheat to tempt the enemy, how much more you and I? You are under attack. But by God's goodness and grace and through the power of prayer, worship and sitting in his word, you can overcome every plan of the enemy that's trying to attack you in Jesus' name. I want us to bow our heads. I want you to speak to God about where you're at in your spiritual life. I just named two signs of attack, mental exhaustion and fatigue, inexplainable depression. There may be others that have come to your heart and to your mind that I may not have even mentioned. I want you to think about that and I want you to begin to speak to God about those things. Think about your spiritual life and where you need to grow and what you need to change. Maybe you need to get back to the place of prayer. Maybe you need to be someone who acts on his word. Maybe you need to get to the place of worship. Maybe you need to be someone who worships in your home, in your room, who needs to be in service on time to join corporate worship and you know that you haven't and you need to change that. Would you speak to God right now? And as we have our heads bowed and our eyes closed and we fix our eyes on Jesus, I want to pray for you. If you're here this morning and you're saying, Pastor Kunle, I'm under attack. I can identify with what you said about being mentally exhausted and fatigued. I can identify with what you said about inexplainable depression. Even those aside, I've forgotten 
that I am under attack and that actually that which I am experiencing and feeling is as a result of spiritual warfare. If you fall into any of those categories, you don't need to be ashamed. This is the house of God. I just want you to stand so that we can pray for you. Maybe you're feeling mentally exhausted and fatigued when it comes to your spiritual life. Maybe it's inexplainable depression. Maybe it's something else. I just want you to stand. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and join me. We're going to take that song, When Praises Rise. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to ask the pastors to join me up front. The foundation of everything we are has to do with our spiritual life. And so I don't want you to be ashamed for those of you that are standing but I want you to come and receive prayer. And as you come and receive prayer from those of us up front, we're just going to spend a moment as a church for those of us who are remaining in our seats just to worship God as we've learned about worship before we get ready to close our service. And so for those of you that are standing, would you just come to the front right now? Just come to the front so you can receive prayer. The rest of you, would you just stand and begin to pray for those at the front? You can come forward and we're going to worship God this morning.